Have you ever thought about how many copies there are of your production data? There's the primary copies, snapshots copied to another array, cloud snapshots stored in object storage, a copy each for dev and test, other copies for analytics, and of course, dozens to hundreds of copies for backup and DR. Ever thought about who has access to all those copies? How long they're going to stay around and what they're costing the company while they hang around? No? <laughs> well, you're welcome. You've just entered the world of copy data management. It's perhaps the most boring and the most important thing you can do to protect your company's information and save it money at the same time. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, AKA Mr. Backup, and each week on this podcast, we dive deep on one topic somehow related to backup, DR, and ransomware. We turn unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Hi, and welcome to the Backup Wrap-Up. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston. I have with me my LinkedIn algorithm commiserator, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis, and I'm sorry that your LinkedIn <laughs> stuff did not go as well as you were hoping it would go. But I think it's because they've probably caught up with you and realized how you use things and are like, okay, Curtis, Mr. Pr Backup, we're going to yeah. change the algorithm just for him. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think you know, it's the you know when when things go wrong, we're taught what did you last change? And when I was taught like when I had we had these consultants that taught us how to use LinkedIn, one of the things they said was don't post within 24 hours, right? Don't don't you know that that wait at least 24 hours before you do your big post. I didn't wait at least 24 hours. I tried something different yesterday where I posted to a group um, with the link and and just to see what kind of attention I got there. And then today I posted to, you know, the greater LinkedIn and um, it was not 24 hours. It was more like 18. And so I think that in the end was my, my boo-boo. So I won't make that boo-boo again. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but yeah, I got, yeah. So I think there are reasons I don't think they just change the algorithm. Just I don't know. Maybe off. it's just, yep. But Curtis, you know, you disable just, them done. Yeah. I was having too much success on LinkedIn. All right. Well, let's get on to the news of the week. First story of this week is a follow-on from a story from a week or so ago, and that is what we originally referred to as the 1Password slash OctaHack really turned out to be an OctaHack. You want to talk about it, Persona? Yeah. So this is the one that we've been following along. Um, Okta had someone breach their environment, which then let them get into 1Password. Um, turns out that Okta recently finished their investigation and they published their findings. The findings were that one of their employees had a corporate device. They were using it to access a service account at Okta, right? Typical, that's what you would do, right? They needed access to it. Right. 
And then they use their Chrome browser and they logged into their personal email account using the Chrome browser. And then when they went to go access using that service account, they said save password and the password for the service account then got stored in the Chrome browser's password manager associated with their personal email account. And then supposedly somehow the employees either personal device or their Gmail account was hacked. And that's how the bad actors got access to the service account. Yeah, so much to unpack here. <laughs> right? um, first, you know, just to understand, you know, we've talked about the Chrome password manager before, and I, you know, we've put it in the category of it's better than nothing, maybe, um, because of this problem, right? So it's better than nothing in that it would allow you to have a unique password for every site, which that is good. But the problem that I have with the Chrome Password Manager is that it stores the data in such a way that you can pull it out, right? When you install 1Password or, um, you know, Dashlane or any of these other guys, they will pull, uh, they can pull your password stored in your browser out and then put them into your new password manager, which sounds really nice and convenient. What it should tell you is that there is an API to pull out the plain text data. Yeah. All you have to do is ask the browser. Apparently, <laughs> there was another article that was written in Ars Technica that basically said, "No, Octa senior management, not an Aaron employee, caused to get hacked." Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, and the big thing here is the Ars Technica article talks about the fact mm -hmm. that there should have been IT policies in place to prevent these sort of things. And they covered the two that I remember off the top of my head. One is that for a service account, you shouldn't just allow anyone who has the credentials to be able to access it. You want to be able to limit the IPs that can access it or do other things like that to make sure that you're restricting access, especially a service account is pretty powerful and Usually right. you don't have MFA associated with it because it's used in cases of running automated scripts or automated access. And so you can't really do MFA in those cases. So it makes sense to have the service account, but at the same time, you should restrict who has access and their ability and where it can be accessed from. The other part that they yeah. also mentioned in the article is that Okta, their IT policy should not allow personal accounts to be logged into from like a web browser to avoid the same issue. And there are multiple ways you could do this. You could either have a web <laughs> proxy, you can using Google workspaces, you can actually restrict what domains are allowed. And so there are multiple right. tools that they could have done, but they did not have a policy in place. And that's what led to this issue. Yeah, I'd say it's got to start with the policy, right? Don't log into your personal accounts from your computer. Um, uh, and then, and then, you know, do what you can to use technology to to stop that. I also wonder if if there's a way through through technology, if we could go and blow away any stored passwords in any browsers. I wonder if that's possible, right? I'm sure with to, the device management software, there's probably yeah, device, device management software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. All right. Well, let's talk about some good news. Um, and, you know, I first want to just put out a disclaimer. We don't purposefully go looking for Druvid news because you and I used to work there. We just Google the same stuff that anybody else does. And it just so happened that in a couple of weeks, Druva made 
a couple of uh, big stories. And I think this one is probably my favorite story coming out of Druva in a while. And that is that they now support natively Azure backup of VMs. And specifically, not only do they support basically the, the snapshot method, which is the supported way to backup VMs inside Azure, <clears throat> they are then able to export those uh, backups, dedupe them, and store them in the Druva cloud. It's what they do with AWS VMs. You get the best of both worlds. You get that native backup and recovery, and you get the cost savings of um, the deduplication. I think for some of our yeah. listeners who may not be familiar, why is it important that second part that you mentioned of how they work, that they're taking the data, the backups out of the customer account and moving it to the Druva account. Why is that so critical in your opinion? Yeah, I think that, yeah, thanks for asking. So I would say that it's because of, you know, we're, we're always talking about getting an air gap, getting something that, that mimics an air gap. If, if, if all your backups are in your uh, AWS or your Azure or your GCP account, then that account gets hacked. They take your backups with them, right? There are way too many stories about <laughs> this that uh, you need to get as much separation as you can. One of the ways to do that is to put it into another account that you own. I think the best way to do it is to put it into an account that you don't own, right? Uh, in this case, this is what Druva is providing for both AWS and Azure, is that it's pulling the data out, deduping it, stored in there. And by deduping it, that's where they get the cost reduction. They're saying that it results in an overall reduction of TCO of 40%, which is uh, you know a solid number. Right. Um, and there is a cost to pulling the data out of the account. Right. I know that was the first thing you asked me was what about the, yeah. the, uh, egress cost, egress cost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that cost is clearly offset by the deduplication features. Right. So you get the, you get the best of both worlds. Um, and this is good news for, uh, Druva, uh, you know, they, they, acquired cloud ranger like five years ago and i think five years minus one day ago i said okay that's great what about azure <laughs> right? yeah and uh so i'm glad to see that they're finally supporting it and uh, i'm assuming that gcp is next well that is the news of the week All right, on this episode of our continuing backup to basic series which of course what we're doing is we're working our way through modern data protection, my latest book here. I'll show, hold it up for the camera for the 27 of you that are watching in the, the video version of this. We have, a, we have a nice following on the audio side, but, you know, I, I just think nobody knows. You can also watch this on YouTube. If you go search on the backup wrap-up on YouTube, you can, you can watch our lovely little mugs. Um, I put a lot of effort into that video version. But oh, it's I know you do. You know, nobody nobody watches this. <laughs> Just someday, maybe we'll we'll be discovered on YouTube, and then we'll take off. Know, our our it'll just take off. But anyway, you know, you might think, and I did not do this on purpose, but the YouTube copy might just be it's just one of the many copies of this show that mm. I need to manage. You see what yeah, I did there? I like what you did there. <laughs> so we're talking this week about this phrase that I think, I think at one point it was really big and then 
Like lately, I, I don't hear the phrase too much, but again, it's a backup to basic series. So I want our listeners to know what this phrase is when it comes up in conversation and, and to know its pros and cons uh, and the ways in which it might manifest itself. And that is, of course, copy data management or C. Uh, DM CDM. I never hear. I never. I never hear anybody call it CDM. I, I haven't really you? heard. Yeah, they copy always, data management. They always seem to say copy data management. Right. Copy data management. Copy uh, data management. Copy data management. Copy data management. <laughs> <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. You know, copies of copy data. <laughs> does it roll off the tongue? It does. Um. So, what, do do you want to? sort of give the basic concept behind copy data management? Yeah. So copy data management is really, it literally is what it says, right? It is, how do you manage the copies of data in your environment? Uh, it Depending on what you want to think about, backup is one copy of the data. I know we've talked about right. replication and snapshots and CDP and near CDP, right? Those all create copies. Your archive, if you go off, do archiving, right? That's another copy of the data. And so copy data management is sort of how do you manage all these copies and the life cycle of those copies? Because it's not just, okay, where are the copies? How do I create those copies? But also how long do I keep the copy around? Because different copies in different places will be kept for different periods of time. Snapshots, maybe I'm only keeping for 14 <clears> days. Backups, so maybe I'm keeping for 90 days. Long-term retention slash archiving, maybe I'm keeping those for like 10 years. So how do I manage the retention yeah process for those copies. And then the last bit of copy data management is really around how can I now start to use those copies, right? Which I think is kind of what a lot of people have now started to think about is, okay, I have a copy of the data sitting there. I don't want to just leave it sitting there because it could be useful for other business purposes for me to drive insights from. So how do I now start to manage the life cycle of using a copy, destroying a copy, and keeping that around if need be. I would describe it as like perhaps a more holistic view of all of the copies that are out there. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in our world, we tend to worry primarily about one of the copies, yes. <laughs> right? Or maybe two of the copies, right? We want at least two copies, right? You know, we want a, we want a backup copy, hopefully on-prem, and we want a backup copy off-prem. So that's kind of two copies. And then... A lot of people primarily focus on the on the on the on the primary copy, the mm -hmm. you know the the production copy. Um, the and you talked about copies that might be kept for archival purposes. I think the one the only one that I that I uh, thought that you left out was the the development side yeah, of things, test and dev. Yep, because that is yeah yeah that is another big area where if you're a if you're the type of company that does any kind of development or any kind of testing where you're, you know, where you, you want to have this other copy of your data, what you often want is you want production data, right? You want uh, a, a copy of your production data yeah. to use for testing. You, well, I'm just saying if you want, I, I know, I know why you're wincing, but, but if you want to, before it goes out to prod, to test, I agree. Yeah, right. If you want to test it, right. I understand the, the concern mm -hmm. that you're that you're talking about. Um, but and we, and we can talk about that. What you know, that that's one of the things 
that you deal with in a copy data management uh, configuration, right? Yep. The, the, the closer that you can use sandboxed information, right? Um, so with, so for example, with Salesforce, right? You can very easily create a sandbox environment of your production environment. And it's got all of your production data over in that other um, world uh, so that you can test whatever new thing that you want to do without uh, destroying impacting. your, yeah, yeah without impacting your production <laughs> I, data. I, I go back to the story that I think you've told us before on the podcast about how you, what was it? You downloaded Salesforce, you exported the Salesforce records, you sort of screwed mm -hmm. up the changes and the rearranging of the tables completely ruined all the records. Yeah. And you luckily yeah. had a backup, right? And you were able to go back. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, um, yeah. So first off, Excel, whoever wrote Excel <laughs> and made it way too easy to sort just one column, why would anyone in the history of people want to sort just one column in a spreadsheet? It's got to be the non-default Right, it's got to be the one out of a hundred use case. I, for the life of me, can't think of <laughs> any use case where that would be the case. But uh, I sorted the phone number column, uh, you know, and 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 only the phone number column. <laughs> so I put all the wrong phone numbers to all the wrong uh, people, and and then uploaded it, not realizing what I had done. And then I realized that I had basically destroyed a a 2 million record Salesforce database. And luckily, luckily I had a backup of that. You're like, thank God for that. So, 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 well, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with the status quo where we have all of the, um, all of these copies around? Well, what, what's, what's the big the, deal? There are multiple problems. One is from a compliance governance perspective. You need to know where your data is. If this is production data, you need to know where those copies are, who has access to it, who's spinning them up, how long are they being kept around for, all of these things, which become very difficult when you don't know who's creating copies and where the copies are going. So that's kind of one problem, just compliance aspect. The other thing is you also want control over the life cycle of those copies, right? How easily can I spin up a copy? Because if it takes me three weeks to copy over data, so I have another mm. copy that I can now start to use for tests. That's going to impact my how quickly I can do testing and find issues and all the rest. And so you want mechanisms that make it easy to create these copies and also along with the compliance piece, making sure that you have proper retention. You don't want these copies living around forever either, right? Because this is a copy of your data. It could be exfiltrated if someone, if you get hit by ransomware or a attacker gets into your environment you don't want them pulling out like copies of your production data because you didn't realize, hey, someone had scrolled away a copy over here. Yeah, and to go back to the earlier thing, you don't want them pulling out copies of your development data if your development data is copy of your production data. Yep. One of the, one of the reasons why you winced when I said that. Yeah. Uh, of course, one of the things that we talk about when we do pull production data and put it into the development is this idea of masking it, right? Or sanitizing. So you have... Yep. Production, yeah, sanitizing, yeah. Uh, so that you have production-like data, but not actual production yep. data. One other thing to add with copy data management is it's not like you take one copy once and you're done forever. 
with copy data mm-hmm. management, there's an ongoing life cycle. It, developers are constantly building new features, needing to test, right? So it's not like you could take a copy of your production environment from a year ago and continue to use it because things change. And so you also need that ability to refresh these copies and make that as automated and as easy as possible. Yeah, agreed. Um, the the other thing, I, I think you alluded to it in your you know, when I, when I was, when I was asking you about the, the, the problems of the status quo, <clears throat> one of the things, at least when CDM vendors were describing this, this new wonderful world mm-hmm. of CDM was the cost of all of those copies, Yep. right? That every one of those copies, I mean, you know, you talked about, you definitely, you want to, you want to manage that process. You want to make sure that, that you, you know where all the copies are. You want to make sure that people are the the right people are accessing copies. The wrong people are not accessing those copies. Maybe some of the copies are encrypted. Maybe some of them are not. Um, maybe they have different performance uh, characteristics aspects. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Performance characteristics. Better word. And the but the the other thing is that if if all of your copies are indeed on extra storage, right? Or you know, if if each copy is on on its own storage, that is a very expensive process indeed. Yeah, and I know we talked the other day about snapshots and clones along with that, and that's one way to sort of get your space optimization is by taking clones on the same storage array that you have the production or a copy of the production, you can now quickly spin up those copies in a space-efficient manner, right? rather than requiring hundreds of copies that are each occupying the full amount of data set space. Yeah. So, all right, so that's our problem. The problem is that we have way too many copies that we're paying for, way too many copies, each of which is its own attack vector. And, and, and we still, we still want to protect all of that, right? We want to protect it from a backup and recovery and disaster recovery perspective. Well, so how does CD, what, what did I say? Just that last one about, we want to protect it. I think it depends. You may not we necessarily, don't want to protect it? <laughs> well, the copies you may not care about. Your test. Well, I just, I just, I just meant the data, oh, yeah. the data in general. Yeah. Yeah. We don't necessarily want to protect each copy. I just meant the data yeah. in general. Um, you know, if we have nine copies of the different data, we only want to protect one of them. Yeah. Right? So, so we're on the, we're on the same page. Okay. Good. So, yeah. So just trying to understand the environment. And I think this is where it becomes difficult because different personas in your organization use different tools and have different requirements. Uh, mm-hmm. If I look at say your database admin, they're going to want to spin up a coffee copy off of production in order to be able to do testing, right? Or to give to the database team for them to do application mm-hmm. development and all the rest of that. And so they're mm-hmm. going to want to copy mm-hmm. off of that using their own tools. So they might integrate with something that is more database friendly, like Delphix, which allows for spinning up test and dev copies off of Oracle and other databases. Then mm-hmm. you have... Uh, folks who might want to care about, okay, I need to be able to spin up a copy to do like my backup team. I want to be able to spin up a copy to make sure that I can verify my backups, right? And make sure that I could restore my data in case I need to. So do backup verification. 
And so in order to do that, I need to spin up a copy off of my backup system in order to be able to access that copy, do my testing without impacting the original backup. Because that's a key, right? You don't want to change any of the right. original data. You just want a copy of that data and manage it. And so there's a separate lifecycle yeah. for that. Yeah, and, and I think that there are products like Veeam, and I know Rubrik has done this quite a bit. I believe uh, Cohesity has done this quite a bit. I, I know Druva did this as well. Um, well, they, yeah, they, they specifically DR. Yeah, you know, since I worked there, but specifically DR for for VMware. But uh, uh, so that's you know, you talked about Delphix. There are products that are specifically aiming at this backup side of yep. of CDM. Yep, and. I think one of the biggest challenges you have is each persona is going to use their different tool. I know three or like five, seven years ago, everyone was like, hey, we'll just have one single tool that can cover the entire environment that can manage copies everywhere. And I think that's just a difficult problem to solve, (laughs) right? Uh, Because you're never going to have that one tool that everyone likes because every persona is going to want their own tools or going to have their own custom workflows. And so it's hard to say there is a single ring to rule them all. Yeah, I, I think that's probably Actifio. That, that, that's what Actifio was going for, yeah. right? Um, they eventually got acquired. I forgot by whom. But um, the, 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 that was certainly what their goal was, right? Was, yeah. to, was to provide a copy, a copy for everybody. It's like everything else in the IT world. If you do everything, you're not going to be any good at anything. Right? Yeah, and so and so you're going to run into you know like the Dell fixes of the world or the or the beams of the world. You're going to run into somebody that's really good at that particular workflow. And so, um, so so it sounds like what we're saying is there's at least right now we're not aware of any one tool that meets all of these copy data management. Uh, needs for every type of uh, workflow? Not that I'm aware of. The only thing you could possibly do is have some sort of reporting tool that's at least able to discover where all the copies are and kind of stitch together a picture for you. But that may not give you sort of the orchestration you need across everything. When we look at the world of copy data management, I I see sort of, I, I think there's like three big things, right? So one is the discovery. Where is everything? Where are all my copies? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is who has access to those copies. And then the third is um, how long are those copies going to be around? Right? Because for, and I'd say that's primarily for cost reasons, but it's also for risk reasons, right? Because as long as something is sitting around, it's something that can be uh, potentially attacked. Does, do you think that sums up the, the, the three I, things we're worried about? I know you talked about cost, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that. But yes, I agree with the three things that you summed up. Right. Well, the cost is sort of the reason we care about the the, the three th- the third thing, right? That 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 time. Well, um, well, I want to mention though why copy data management though sort of has gotten better now and why it was talked about a lot more versus before. Okay. Uh, One of the things, and also some of the downsides of copy data management. So one of the things is when you had sort of traditional disk, spinning up a copy was 
even if you had snapshots and clones, you could do that so you're not consuming extra space, but it would take a performance hit. And when you started to look at SSDs, now you could actually afford to spin up a copy and offer the same performance to those other application use cases without necessarily fully impacting your production data source. That's what a lot of people are concerned about, which is why they would copy off the data to a secondary system and then spin right. up their test and dev. With SSDs and high-performance flash arrays, you no longer have to worry about that as much. And so you can now spin up copies. Like if you talk to our friend Howard at Vast Data, right? I'm sure Vast will say, yeah, just spin up as many copies as you want off of the Vast production, you'll be fine. So that's one way that sort of production copies became a lot more affordable and also not as much concern from a performance perspective. Now, the other thing I will mention is backup target systems have always been sort of like, hey, we have all this data. How do we add more value? How do we allow people to use the data? And I know we talked about backup verification testing or restore verification testing. But people started then thinking about, can we start to use backup systems for test and dev scenarios and other things like that? Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at an all-flash array system, which I don't think many purpose-built backup appliances exist, which are purely all-flash, just because of cost reasons for those systems, they mix flash with a good amount of disk. And so, yes, you might be able to spin up one, two, three copies off of that system, but at some point, you're going to run into a performance limitation much sooner than you would off of your primary system. The other thing also is people don't typically associate backup systems with doing these test and dev copies because backup was built for a reason, and that's to provide you sort of that last line of defense against everything else blowing up. Right. And so is that something from a risk perspective as a backup admin you really want to give the keys to everyone who wants a test and dev copy to be running off of that backup system? Or really is your main focus of that backup system, hey, I'm the last line of defense. My goal is to make sure I can restore data, meet my SLAs, protect data in the corporate environment. And test and dev really should be run by a different organization or go talk to the production admins. And so that's why I think copy dev or copy data management never really took off as much as people wanted to from backup systems as it has from production systems. Yeah, and the and and I think for other reasons like we want to keep you, you talked about why not to use the backup system as a source for copies for test and dev and I'm also saying why not to think of the backup as just another copy? Because when when it's when you know if we get that full CDM system, if backup is just another copy, my question is how connected is it to this mm -hmm. primary system that could go offline, and yeah. and does that in some way uh, put my backup and DR copy at risk? And my business at risk, right? Because that is the purpose of right, backup right. and DR copies. <clears throat> right. And so I, I think that there's still a good argument to be made for keeping backup and DR copies separate and then production and dev copies perhaps together uh, provided off of the same storage because as, and as long as you do it in such a way that you're not impacting production. Yeah. Right. Um, if, if you're, and I, I think 
that with flash that does solve uh, that or that ameliorates that concern. Um, and then, you know, we haven't talked at all about cloud copies <laughs> yes. because I think that's where the true, like it's so easy to just spin up another copy of something in the cloud and then forget about it. Yeah. Right. It's so easy to make an S3 copy of something, to make a, a copy of something in EBS, to clone a VM from here over to there. Um, I think that when when we now, you know, early in this recording, I talked about, I used the word holistic. You really have to bring, you know, when we say whole, the whole part of holistic, <laughs> we've been talking primarily about the data center, but we really should be talking about those copies in the cloud. Yep. Because it is so easy to create both backup, archive, development copies, et cetera, entire instances, right? Entire um, virtual data centers that then no longer get used. Yeah. And that's a big thing from like a cost perspective, because I'm sure there are companies out there which have a bunch of either snapshots or EC2 instances running that they aren't even able to keep track of because at some point you have so much infrastructure running, you don't know what is being used for what. And so that becomes a concern because that starts to eat because it's not cheap, right? <laughs> to run that. It's not your own yeah. data center you're, co- you're worrying about, but you're still paying AWS or Google or whoever your cloud provider is for those resources. Right. I think I'm agreeing with you that I don't think there is the one the one tool to rule them all because there's a data center versus the cloud for no other reason other than that. But there could be a tool that could manage, that could do these the three things, right? Uh, find all my copies, uh, find out who has access to them, and find out how long they're going to be around. And then also, I think in the cloud, there are ways to find out if a particular resource is actually still being used. Right? I'm sure there is. Um, yeah. yeah. And so if we can, if we can identify these resources that aren't being used and then get rid of them. And then I think that that's sort of that initial uh, challenge. But then once you get that initial lay mm-hmm. of the land, I think if you have a tool that can then be the one who creates the copy for you. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, if it can create the copy for you rather than just you as using native tools, um, then I think that you could get that cost aspect and risk aspect, I think, a little bit more in control. Yeah. And I think in the cloud also, because of the ability to tag resources, you get a lot more flexibility. So you could say, hey, I'm spinning up this test and dev copy for this department. You could tag it in your EC2 instance, and you could use that later to track and understand, okay, who's using what. So I think a cloud helps with a lot of the manageability aspects. You just have to use it in the right way. Yeah, I think tags are, I think tags are um, you know, uh, an amazing tool that uh, are really, they're, they're helpful. Tags are very helpful for a number of things. This is copy data management is one of them. Another area where they're helpful is backup and recovery um, because you can apply rules to different tags, mm-hmm. right? And you can say, we're going to, we're going to handle um, our VMware cloud instances like this. And we're going to handle our, you know, our EBS instances like this, et cetera. And you could just, uh, you, you can attach rules 
and backup and DR policies to those rules uh, based on tags. And you, you can even have, um, you can say, hey, if a resource gets created and it doesn't have a tag at all, this is what we do. The right? default, yeah. W- one of which, yeah, the, the default policy and, and, and part of that policy would be to go yell at somebody and say, hey, why is there, <laughs> why is there this resource without tags? Um, just to finish out, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the reuse of data. Um, I think that this, there are, you know, as long as I've been in backup, there's been a lot of talk, especially in the last, I say, 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of talk about trying to leverage backup for other purposes. You've touched on it already. Um, I, I think from a, you know, backup is different than archive. I do think that if you stored the data correctly, if you stored the data in such a way that you had information available for both backup and archive instances, and you were able to meet both workloads with the same copy of data, I would be fine with that. (laughs) I very rarely have found, you know, backup software. I'd say about the only one that I've seen that does it, at least the best that I have seen would be Commvault, mm. right? That they have a single copy and they have both backup and archive. Now, the concern that I've, that I've heard is that it does require a significant amount of additional infrastructure. Um, but I, I, I don't have a problem with that additional copy because that I see as you're saving money by storing one copy and using it for two Multiple purposes. purposes. I just don't yeah. want people, right? I, I just don't want people taking their backup and then holding it for 10 years and calling that an archive. That is not an archive that <laughs> we've, we've had episodes about that. Um, I will talk about that till I'm blue in the face. Yes. Um, and, and other, other things that we can use backup for is to basically look at the backup and leverage it from a ransomware perspective. We, we can look at and see if we can identify that the ransomware attack has been, has happened uh, we can see that if anything has been encrypted, we can see if anything has been infected in the backup. We can do that with the backup copy. Um, but I think I agree with you. Um, and, and potentially, and this is potentially, uh, if we have backup and archive, if we have that, potentially we could use backup for uh, compliance purposes yep. too. Right? If If we're able to easily query... And, and, and this is a big if, right? Because in order to meet compliance needs, you need to be able to, the, the system has to act more like an archive system than a backup system. Yeah. I need to be able to say, show me all the files that Curtis made, right? I need to say, show me all the emails with this word in them. Show me all the documents with this word in them. Which most backup um, systems don't and, focus on. Which most backup systems, yeah. Almost none, basically. Yeah. Um, there have been some advancements, uh, to, to, you know, to do some stuff, but uh, it's just not there. Right. And, and even then it's often very application centric. Like we can do it for 365, but we can't do it for other stuff. Right. So again, if if you want to use backup for archive purposes, I'm sorry, for, for compliance purposes, then you, um, you just need to make sure that it's capable of meeting that workload. Yeah. I agree. Okay. 
All right. Well, we have once again beat this topic yes. to death. If you found this topic uh, interesting and you want to read more, you know, similar topics, uh, you can get my book, Modern Data Protection, available wherever books are sold, including, you know, in rivers in South America. Um, <laughs> some people don't like to buy books there. That's fine. I don't care. I don't care where you buy my book. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, Persona, for a great discussion. As always, Curtis, it was a lot of fun. And thank you to our audience. We'd be nothing without you. And with that, that's a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.